so 1 through 16. And then we'll turn to the Gospel of Mark, and we'll read uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and that will be our text this morning, Mark 4, 35 through 41. So first Jonah 1, and then Mark 4, 35 through 41. But before we read, let's come before our Heavenly Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, and as we are about to open your holy and inerrant and inspired word, we pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would show us our beloved Savior, that you would increase our faith this morning, that you would strengthen our walk with you. Lord, rebuke us if necessary. Lord, we pray that we would come this morning expecting to hear great things from you. So we pray, Lord, that as we open up your word, that you would help us to push aside those distracting thoughts from our minds, that we would be able to fully focus on you. And we pray this in Christ's name alone. Amen. Jonah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. So when the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for sure whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. 
Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered vows and offered in sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And now turning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, we'll read verses 35 through 41. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him, And said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God add blessing to his holy and inerrant and inspired word. This morning in our sermon, we will be looking at the miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And in this miracle, we are presented with Two different realities, or two realities, fear and faith. And one thing we must remember throughout this miracle and any other miracle is this. Jesus does not do miracles just for the sake of doing miracles. He's not trying to excite the crowds with miracles. He's not just showing off his power. Miracles are always done for a specific reason, to demonstrate the authority of the Word of God. So we must start asking, what is Jesus trying to teach us in this miracle? And what we find in this miracle, and in the following three miracles that follow this one, is that Jesus is teaching about himself in the form of contrasts. And this morning, that contrast is between fear and faith. And you will also notice that we, also, we read this morning from Jonah 1. And what you'll see is there are many parallels between these two events. Both Jonah and Jesus went down into the ship to sleep. Both group of sailors feared for their lives. Both set of sailors woke up Jonah or Jesus. In both situations, the storm was calmed by the power of God. 
And in both situations, the sailors and the disciples feared God. We will not be looking at the parallels too closely this morning in this sermon, but I just want to show you that just as Jonah was a prophet of God, so is Jesus the divine prophet. We even see in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 42, Jesus alluding to himself as the new perfect Jonah, that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so too Jesus would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, dead. So this miracle of calming the storm is about godly fear and faith. Lord willing, I pray as we look at this text, the Holy Spirit would apply this message to our hearts. And as we dive into these verses, we'll notice something different here. The passages before this one, uh, sorry, the verses anyway, uh, have been primarily about Jesus, and Jesus is the focus. And this passage, Jesus is front and center as well, make no mistake. However, it is clearly written with the disciples as the focus of this narrative. This is their trial and their situation. And this is their response to their trial. And in studying this passage, we are forced to look to ourselves. And we ask ourselves trying questions. So this morning, I'd like to look at this text in three parts, from the perspective of the disciples. First, at verses 35 to 37, we'll see they took him. They took him. And then in verses 38 through 40, they awoke him. They awoke him. And then finally, in verse 41, they feared him. They feared him. So let us set the scene this morning. At the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus was teaching parables from a boat. After the teaching is over, Jesus explained the parables to the disciples late that same day. And in the evening, Jesus tells his disciples, let us pull up anchor and let us cross over to the other side. At this point, we're not far from Capernaum on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee, And we learn at the beginning of chapter 5 that their travel across the lake brings them to the country of the Gadarenes, which is on the eastern side of the sea. Now this is where things change up a little. Jesus tells the disciples that they should cross the lake in verse 35. But in verse 36, we see the focus changing to the disciples. We read in verse 36... Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. This is interesting, isn't it? Jesus is the one who tells the disciples that they should travel across the lake. But it is the disciples that take Jesus along. Do you see how things switched from Jesus to the disciples here? Jesus commanded that they should go. And the disciples brought Jesus with them. 
Now, I do not want to be charged with an allegorical interpretation here, but I feel that this text does show us a practical lesson here. We are saved by Jesus and tells us to go forth into the world. So being new Christians, just as these disciples were, we head out into the world. The disciples were called by Jesus, but they still had so much to learn. And they didn't even have the full picture yet like we do. These disciples do not know anything about Jesus' death or resurrection yet and what that means for their salvation. So these disciples obey Christ and they head out across the lake. And they have no idea what is in store for them. And the same is true for us. When Christ entered into your life, could you ever imagine the storms of life that would come your way? So Jesus and the disciples are now crossing the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so much so that it's already filling with water. And the English translation of this verse is fine. But I think we lose something along the way. The word great makes it explicitly clear with an overkill of words to state that this storm was a, a massive storm. If I were to read the Greek to you word for word, uh, literally translated, I would read, and a great hurricane windstorm arose. And one commentator tried to explain this storm in natural terms. He said, you know, when the cool air of Mount Hermon descends and mixes with the warm air, the dry air of the region, it flows over the water and storms like these could be expected. No. This storm was much more than that. Just like the storm that hit Jonah's boat, these storms were not just natural storms that follow God's rules of thermodynamics. These storms were specially sent by God, a trial sent by God. John Calvin writes, But on occasion to make known to the apostles how weak and inconsiderable their faith was. And he goes on to say, Let us learn that whenever any adverse occurrence takes place, the Lord tries our faith. This storm is not created just to show the disciples how powerful Jesus is, but rather an occasion to try the disciples. Do they trust Jesus? Do they rest in Him fully in every circumstance? Do not think it is crafty of God to test our faith. What did God do to Adam and Eve in the garden? He tested their faith. Do you believe and trust in God? Do you trust Jesus? Will He bring you through this trial that you are currently going through? When you hit trials in your Christian walk, do you place your trust in your Lord and Savior? 
Or are you frantic and try to take control of the situation yourself? We need to stop and think. This trial that God has placed in our path was not put there arbitrarily, but rather on purpose. And these trials will come in different severities over time. And you should know that these trials are sent to put your faith to the test. So I will ask you, do you trust Jesus like you say you do? Do you trust him when the bank account is nearly empty? Do you trust him when yourself or a loved one has an illness? Or you perhaps get into a car collision. There can be trials of the soul as well. If you've never read Psalm 88, you should. This is the darkest psalm of all the psalms. And what is being described is a dark night of the soul. And when you go through this dark night of the soul, do you still cry out to your Savior like the psalmist does in Psalm 88? Lord, I have called daily upon you. Do you rest in him? So these disciples went on their journey and they took Christ with them and they encountered this trial. So how did the disciples respond to their trial? Which brings us to our second point. We'll look at verses 38 to 40. So the waves are now crashing over the boat. The disciples are getting very worried right now. They think the boat is going to sink. And they're pretty sure they're going to drown. So where is Jesus while all this is taking place? Well, in verse 38 we read, But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. How can this be? We are about to be destroyed and Jesus is taking a nap. And the interesting thing about the parallel in Jonah is that even though Jonah was running away from God, he too was asleep. He rested in confidence in his God, even though he was running from him. Is this not sometimes our reaction in the midst of our trials? The trial happens and things keep getting worse and worse. As the situation unfolds, we start to wonder, where is Jesus right now? Why is this happening does he not know that I'm in trouble? So what do, the, what do the disciples do at this point? They run down to Jesus and they awoke him. They awoke him. And the disciples cried out, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, you are here sleeping and the ship is about to go down. Do you not care about us? Again, do we not do this to Jesus when we are in trouble? Jesus, I'm in very big trouble right now. Do you not even care that I am perishing? Be honest. If we've been a Christian for any length of time, we've all been there, haven't we? I have. 
I remember crying out to God from my bed hours before my son Liam died. Crying out to the Lord Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Where are you? But do you know what the strange thing is? Why is it that the disciples are only going to Jesus when the ship is about to be broken up? Why didn't they call for Jesus before this? He has been in the boat with them the whole time. And if they realized who was with them in the boat, would they not have been less frantic? God is not going to let his son die in a storm. That is not the plan. So the disciples wait, and they wait. John Calvin again says, But they do nothing until they are urged by extreme danger. And then they are overwhelmed with such unreasonable fear that they do not think they'll be safe till Christ is awakened. So the disciples cried out to the Lord in a frantic manner. So what does Jesus do now that he is awakened? In verses 39 through 40, we find out. Let us read them again. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus addresses two things in these verses. First, Jesus addresses the storm. We're told that Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea, and he gave a divine command, peace, be still. In the Greek, peace and be still are written as imperatives or commands. And the hurricane stopped blasting, and the wind and the waves on the sea ceased. Jesus has just commanded a non-living force to stop, and it obeyed. And we are stopped to wonder, if Jesus, if Jesus just commanded the storm to cease, was there any real trouble? Everyone knows that God can control the weather. See this passage afresh from the eyes of the disciples. Jesus just commanded the seas and the winds to stop, and only God can do that. We see that in places such as Psalm 65, 7, 89, 9, 104, 7, and from Psalm 107. Let us listen to these verses from Psalm 107, and I want you to hear the parallels to this passage in Mark. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distress. 
He calms the storm so that its waves are still. They are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Our Lord and Savior is God. Everything, including the raging storms, are under his supreme authority. And so is this trial this, that you are going through. From your perspective, the trial might seem insurmountable. And you might think there cannot be any satisfactory ending to this trial. And not all trials end with what we think is a happy ending from a human perspective. But as Paul says in Romans, God works all things out for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we can all think of one extremely large trial that every single one of us will face unless Christ comes back first. Death. Will I suffer and be in pain? What happens? It is a trial that we must all grapple with. One day we will close our eyes for the last time on this earth and we will open them to meet our judge. Do you trust that your Lord and Savior is there even then? And what we find out is that our Savior even controls things that are not living. Our God is powerful, mighty, and a sovereign God who loves us and takes care of us. Well, the second thing that Jesus addresses is the disciples. After calming the storm, Jesus turns to his disciples and asks, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And we might be tempted to think here, wow, that was harsh. The ship was about to sink, and the disciples did go to Jesus. So, what is wrong? The problem is the disciples became undone. The, disciple, the problem is their fear goes beyond its proper bound. The word that Jesus uses here in the Greek does mean fearful, it's a good translation. But the word in the Greek has a more fuller meaning than that of just fearful. The fuller meaning is timid, cowardly, or lacking confidence. The disciples acted cowardly. They were panic-stricken. When they had with them the Lord of lords and King of kings right with them in their boat. You see, the disciples were so timid or cowardly that they failed to do the one thing they should have done from the very beginning. They failed because they only turned to Jesus when demise was about to occur. You probably heard on movies or TV shows those pleas with God. God, if you would just get me out of this mess, I'll go back to church. 
Why didn't the disciples go get Jesus long before this? Or why didn't they feel safe and secure with Jesus with them? Was it pride? Some of these disciples were seasoned fishermen who most likely saw their fair share of storms. Regardless, the fear that these fishermen had was not in line with whom they served. The disciples here reacted in fear, not faith. And before we leave this, I should caveat this and ask a question. Is every kind of fear sinful and contrary to faith? So we should take a look at this. And again, John Calvin, a wealth of, of knowledge, he, he answers this so succinctly. He says, it, it is not every kind of fear that is opposed to faith. This is evident from the consideration that if we fear nothing, an indolent and cardinal security steals upon us, and this faith languishes, the desire to pray becomes sluggish and the remembrance of God is at length extinguished. He goes on to say, fear awakens faith. It is not at fault until it goes beyond bounds. It is dread which distresses the peace of the conscience in such a manner that it does not rest on the promises of God. So as I conclude this point, we see that the disciples awoke Jesus. The problem is they only turned to Jesus when they thought there was nothing else for them to do. They exhausted all their options, if you will. Faith is going to Jesus and continuing to go to Him all the time and trusting in Him. The storm was the disciples' trial. And we have trials. We need to see these trials for what they are. Jesus is calling us to strengthen our faith, to learn that we need to trust in Him in all things. So in our third and final point this morning, we'll see that the disciples' fear has changed focus. In verse 38, we see that the disciples are fearful of the storm. They thought that the storm would take their life. But now let us look at verse 41. We read, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples were afraid of the storm, there's no doubt, and they responded with an out-of-bounds reaction. They were afraid. But what I'm about to say is also true. Jesus came up from down below the ship. He commanded the sea to stop raging and the wind to stop blowing, and there was a great calm, a hush, a stillness. I mean, we can almost picture this, can't we? The boat was not rocking. The sea would have been like glass. Mark says, a great calm. So what do you think? Do you think the disciples went, phew, 
wow, wonderful work, Jesus. You really saved us this time. Remember how I said the storm was a great storm. Well, if you look at the reaction of the disciples, this is nothing less dramatic. The Greek literally says they feared with a great fear. These disciples are realizing that the fear that they had during the storm is not what they should have been fearing. Now they feared God. They're standing in the same boat with Jesus, the God-man, God Himself. And when God reveals Himself to man, we see this kind of reaction on men. Jesus may have chosen these disciples. They they have seen some wonderful miracles, and they've heard some excellent sermons, but they're only just starting to see that Jesus is so much more. The disciples ask the same question that Mark has been asking since the beginning of his gospel. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is he? When God reveals himself to man, we see an awe, a reverence, a fear. Remember what happened after the sailors threw Jonah overboard. We read in Jonah, so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Jonah said God would stop the storm if he was thrown over, and it happened, thus showing that God did this very thing. Even as we go back to Exodus, we see how when God reveals himself to man, they, the people tremble in fear. God came to Moses and told him to go to God's people and tell them that God was going to free them from their slavery. Well, did the people trust in the Lord and that he could and would do this for them? No, all they could see was their own anguish. In Exodus 6, 9, we read, So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. But then God did exactly what he promised. He did liberate the Israelites. He brought them to safety. And in Exodus 14, 30 and 31, we read, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servants. So the question comes down to this. Will you be full of fear when your trial arrives? Or will your fear in Jesus Christ cause you to put your trust in him? The following hours where Krola, my wife, and I sat quietly in a secluded hospital room with our son who just died. Waves of fear washed 
over me. Lord, we are drowning. Where are you? I could feel my Savior looking and saying, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He calmed my storm. And by God's grace, I grew in Him. I've been learning how to fear Him more than the current trials. And it's not always been an easy road. I've been learning to call upon my Savior often. And more and more each day, coming to the knowledge that He walks with me in my trials. The work of the Holy Spirit showing those whom He dwells in day by day by day, that we do not need to fear our trials. Because behind them all is our Savior who is strengthening you and asking you, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me that I will take you safely home to glory? And what we see is, If the winds and the sea obey Jesus, what shall we be afraid? Brothers and sisters, how is your faith? Are you living in fear? Or are you living in the fear of God who commands even the winds and the sea? Just like the disciples, we take Jesus with us when we are shown That when we are in Jesus, secured by His shed blood, we learn that we are just as safe in the boat as we are on the shore. It is then we properly fear the Lord and put our trust in Him. So when you hit trials, and they will come, Put your fear in the right place. Fear Christ. Put your faith in Him. He calmed that storm. He that calmed the storm is with you. And He will not let you go. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning humbly. We've not always trusted you as we ought. You send trials in our way to test our faith, to strengthen our faith. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us this day. Help us to grow in you. We pray that even though the winds and the sea might batter us, that we would know that we are safe and secure with you. We also pray that we would not let things go so long, that we would be continually in prayer with you long before the situation seems overwhelming. Lord, we pray this in the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing and receive.